M and K Talk YA now presents Warcross Part Two of the Warcross series by Marie Lu. I'm Kitty Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this week in our Young Adult Fiction Podcast, we finished the first book in the Warcross series by Marie Lu. So it's a duology and we've read half of it. Yeah, I know. And um, in the second book, Wildcard just came out recently, like in September. It's fun reading a series that is pretty recent and people are talking about it. Yeah, it's funny because I think I ordered them at the same time when we were like, yeah, we're going to do this series next. And I forgot that even though we talked about it, like the second book was going to be out before we recorded, but not whenever we were talking. And I was like, I must not have ordered it or something because I haven't gotten here yet on Amazon. And then you reminded me. So yeah, it's brand new, basically. And we've always said Marie Lou is one of our favorite authors for good reason, because there's always a twist. Like Like we say, her books always come with a twist. And... Let me just tell you, I read this book when it first came out, and I didn't remember the twist, (laughs) and I was shocked all over again. That's so funny to me. Yeah, I was trying really hard to figure out what the twist was going to be ahead of time, and I didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because Hideo just seemed like such a great guy. Like, everything about him, you were like, you just kept loving him more and more, and you were intrigued because there was this mystery around him, but... You just kind of assumed he was a great guy, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and I want to mind control everyone. Yeah, well, there was a point where I was starting to get suspicious, not really of Hideo, but I thought maybe it was someone at his company who would be doing something with, like, their data, all the information they were getting, but I never at any point thought that they would, like, reverse the connection and control their minds. (laughs) And I felt so naive, because I was like, how could I not have thought that, that this game that... Last week, we marveled at the fact that 90% of all people play it. Like, how could we not put two and two together and be like, oh, this could be a really bad thing if all these people are playing it? Well, that's why I thought even just having all that data, like I even thought yeah. that they he would use, because they're looking at their lenses, I thought he could see what everyone was seeing all the time. Not mm-hmm. that he would then control their behavior, but that he would like scan for his brother or something, but not be in their brain and actually prevent them from doing things. I like was totally on this data thing and Facebook taken to the extreme and so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Well, it was interesting that we did learn more about his brother and like why he is trying to mind control everyone. The whole thing with Suzuki was a really sad backstory. Yeah. But I do remember the first time I read it, um, when we learned about how his brother was taken and he never saw him again, I remembered the first time I read this through, I was like, oh, I bet we're going to see Suzuki again. Yeah, I did too. Once we found out he was, I thought he was going to be killed at first when we found out he had a brother, but I agree. And I actually thought he might be zero, but then I forgot about it until it actually happened. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I was right. (laughs) But I still, we don't really know enough about why, like if he was truly kidnapped and brainwashed and whatever if he like remembers because he was what seven when he was kidnapped was it yeah something like that or when he went missing or like if like I'm kind of curious how accurate Hidea's memories are even though he's like gone through it all this these numbers of times I wonder if there's more to the story than 
I don't know. I just like I'm kind of curious about what really happened to him growing up and where he's been for the last ten years or whatever, whatever it is. Twelve. Yeah, years. and I want to know how he knew what Hideo was doing and how he knew to try and stop him. Because essentially, Zero's whole plan was to stop Hideo and to assassinate him. Yeah, and does he know that's his brother though? <laughs> Exactly. I, I mean, I would think so. But I, there's like a huge gap and all this stuff happens where he goes from being kidnapped to wanting to kill his brother. Yeah. And we really need to know that missing piece. Well, so it's actually funny because I was trying to look up because you know how after his brother went missing, they everyone in his family had like a reaction. So his mom got kind of forgetful. His dad developed like a chronic cough and other like physical issues and he became like obsessive about you know finding his brother and building this yeah. game and like basically his whole life everything he does is to try and find him yeah and they all stopped talking about it right mm-hmm. so i actually was trying to find out a little bit more about that and i guess there's been a lot of research more recently about how children mourn like they used to think that children oh. didn't really mourn and that or if anything like the death of a parent would affect a child but they didn't really think this is about death of a sibling not specifically missing sibling but um i read some things that were kind of similar about when like if one child goes missing the parents treat the remaining children differently because they're mm-hmm. either distracted by trying to find their kid or trying to get justice or whatever or they're you know paranoid and protective and right you know, it can have a huge impact on the child. So I was reading a little bit about how we've actually found out that if a kid has experienced the death of a sibling, it has a huge negative impact on them. I imagine. Um, I imagine like at any age, but especially when you're really young. Yeah. So they say actually if you're under the age, well, for anyone, but you kind of think like the older you get, of course, your sibling dying would affect you. But if you're under the age of 10, you usually don't have the like emotional intelligence or the social skills or even like the cog like the intellectual like ability to understand what happened that help older children cope so it's actually really hard for them but they also experience emotions kind of more piecemeal so they might like cry about their sibling and then play games but then cry later like whereas a lot of times if you're older or more adult your like grief will stay with you for longer periods of time and um, so adults have trouble kind of relating or understanding that kids are grieving a lot of times. Oh. So, and also because of that, people do a poor job of reaching out to the child and like giving them the support they need, especially if a sibling has died because the parents are dealing with their own grief. And a lot of people tend to focus on giving the parents support and sort of kind of forget about the child. That's so sad. Not Forget about might be too strong, but just... So, like, that's just kind of where the attention is. Yeah. And then especially because kids don't necessarily understand what happened, they can develop mixed-up ideas about, you know, what happened or what caused it or, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, when I turn 18, I'm also going to die or, you know, Christmas or whatever, like, just all kinds of things like that. So it was kind of sad to read, but they said especially if the sibling rivalry was intense – Survivors will often carry like a very irrational guilt of feeling that they somehow caused the death of their sibling because they were like trying to get more attention. Yeah, but we see that with Hideo Mm -hmm. because there's that she has like, so they have this like telepathy now. They can read each other's minds Um, and he gives her the memory of him like begging his parents to forgive him even though he had nothing to do with his brother being taken. He just felt super responsible. And so you do see like 
that grief and that guilt that he had. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an extreme example too. I remember when they first like were in each other's minds and I didn't know they could turn it off yet. I was like, this feels very invasive and I'm not sure. That was the first time I actually was sort of like, he might be going too far down the like creative, let's push technology. I still didn't think he was going to use it for bad, but I was like, people could use this for bad, but then they could at least turn it off, which was good. I would not like that. Like, I would not want that at all. I would never want someone in my brain or to be in someone else's. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Even like someone, like even James, like I wouldn't. No. Want, and I wouldn't want to, I, my emotions are enough to experience at one time. Yeah. <laughs> I did like um, that we are seeing the relationship kind of deepen um, Hideo and Emika. And I wonder how it's going to change now that she knows that he's, you know, essentially trying to mind control people because he's doing it for what he thinks is a good reason, right? Like he wants to stop crime before it happens. He wants to like get into people's brains and stop them from taking a child or committing murder or whatever. Yeah. I mean, obviously it doesn't make it right, but in his mind, it's doing a lot of good. As far as mind controlling people go, he has better motives than many. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's true. A sentence I never thought I would say. (laughs) But I think she's worried that, like, how can the Neuralink judge what's right and wrong? And, like, how do you know it won't go too far? Like, there's shades of gray. Even more than that. It's human choice. So she's not saying it's okay to kill someone, but like, yeah, like where do you draw the line and how do you, who says that your moral code is better than my moral code? I'm waiting for them to even get into things like, okay, you know that like typical moral dilemma stuff about like there's one person on the tracks. Right. If you move the train and three people on the tracks, if you don't move the train, like what should you do? Like would your Neuralink kick in and make you kill somebody? Because that's also bad just to avoid killing three people. I mean, I don't know. Like just removing choice becomes really bad. Yeah. It's like Aiden from the Illuminate Files all over again. Yeah. <laughs> but our for real. little murderous robot. <laughs> he did. We did grow to love him, but um, in our own way. Well, I actually did some – research about mind control <laughs> okay great i kind of was hoping you would so i want to hear well, some okay stuff. so i'll tell you down the path that led to my research i just finished listening to the podcast escaping nexium i've never heard of it it's by uncover it's inc- it's an incredible story it's about a journalist who reconnected with an old friend from his childhood and he they were just small talking and he was like yeah you know i became a journalist and she was like, oh, that's cool. I just escaped a cult. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> What's new with you? Well, I became yeah. a journalist. What about you? What have you been up to the last few years? Well, I was in a cult, but now I'm out. <laughs> I was brainwashed, but now I'm good. <laughs> Fixed it. And so the podcast is about this woman telling her experiences about how she got involved with Nexium, which was like, it's like a pyramid scheme. It's like an MLM um, pyramid scheme that was... Uh, led by Allison Mack, who is from Smallville. She's like an actress from Smallville. It's all about how she got entrenched in it and how she, like, she started out doing things that seemed innocuous, and then little by little those things got more and more intense until finally she, like, found herself with all these women about to be branded, like, an actual metal brand in her skin. And she was just like, how did I end up here? So the whole podcast is about how she left and like how she got away essentially but it is so fascinating i listened to it in one day how many episodes are there 
There's only seven. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. So they're on time. You you really should. I have a commute now, so I can start listening to more things. Yeah. <laughs> then, so then I started listen. I started actually watching the new American Horror Story too, which is called Cult. <laughs> so like cults are my thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm into. And so I was thinking about like brainwashing and how these people get kind of Wait, can we go back to the podcast? So what was the first, like, why did she even, I sort of get like that you start small and it escalates and then whatever, but like, how do you even, like, what makes you be, oh, this doesn't seem like a cult. Okay. It's like a way to make So this was, okay. It really, like a true pyramid scheme kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so she became like one of their top salespersons, which is honestly like you're just recruiting people basically is how you make money so a lot of it was like how guilty she felt about how many people she recruited into this into this cult who then she had to turn her back on and be like oh i'm sorry i'm out and she tried to take as many people with her as she could but it's such a crazy story you have to listen okay i'll listen to it okay so back to your research sorry (laughs) okay yeah so then i was thinking about cults and then i was thinking about mind control and i was thinking about brainwashing and did you google how to brainwash somebody (laughs) No, because I don't want the FBI to be okay, at my door. just checking. <laughs> so then I thought I would just pick, like, one example of kind of, not a pyramid scheme, but definitely racketeering that I thought was uh, pretty fascinating. And I remember uh, watching, I forget what show it was on, but they did a little episode about it. It's about the woman, Linda Hazard, who killed a dozen people in the 20th century. And she was a doctor... Well, she was. Let me rephrase that. She called herself a doctor. Okay. So she had no medical degree. <laughs> she had no formal training. Okay. She no. She was not a doctor. She called herself a doctor, but she was a fasting specialist. And essentially, she put together this program to help people cure pretty much like any ailments you could think of. And her way of curing your ailment was through fasting. And okay. um, it happened in this little town of Olala, um, which is near Seattle. And the place where she set up headquarters is now called Starvation Heights. Have you heard of it? Nope. Well, I'll tell you about it. Again, Linda Hazard was this quack doctor who didn't know anything. And she... um, Did she believe that she knew what she was talking about? Or did she... Okay. That's what kind of freaks me out most sometimes. Like, it's one thing if you're just kind of evil and, like, manipulating people because they're vulnerable. It's another if you're like, I think I can heal people by, like... Yeah. Moving my eyebrows this way or something. And and so this was like she brainwashed herself pretty much. So and honest oh, and if you if you like that kind of thing, you also should listen to Doctor Death. Have you heard of that podcast? No, I need to get better at my podcasting. <laughs> it's hard to listen to podcasts and have a podcast at the same time. <laughs> I can barely she... have a podcast right now, so yeah. <laughs> um, Doctor Death is about it's the same people who did Dirty John and it's about uh a spine surgeon who killed or injured like 33 patients and should not have been practicing medicine. Maybe don't listen to it because I know you've had some medical issues. I'm already paranoid. Yeah, I need to <laughs> yeah. ask everyone for credentials even more. Okay. Yeah, maybe don't listen to that one. But um, it reminded me of this case a lot. So she, Linda Hazard, wrote a book, a self-published book in 1908 called Fasting for the Cure of Disease. And she said that the path to true health was to let the digestive system rest through um, near total fasts for days or more. So what she did was she... No matter what your ailment is. Just no matter, like, psoriasis, 
I don't know, syphilis? I don't know. Like, what did people have back then? Consumption? <laughs> she thought that, like, it could cure anything. Okay. You need your foot amputated, but just stop eating. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll grow back. This is kind of awful because during her her treatment, I guess you would say, she only allowed patients to consume small servings of vegetable broth. That's all they ate, really. Wow. And a lot of people bought into it, which is absolutely crazy. It is crazy, but also if she's calling herself a doctor and she has a published book out and you... I guess, but here's the thing. like, There's a lot of dumb people out there. With all these things, there's always a point where you have to stop and say, what the heck am I doing? Yeah. You know? Well, I know, but you and I, I think, like to think, and we've read enough young adult dystopian fiction and (laughs) whatever, that we're more um, suspicious probably. Like, think about people who, like, grow up in smaller towns and never read books and just, like, don't know anything outside of their little world. Some people are definitely more vulnerable. Yeah. And it's taking advantage of them. Yeah. So the best-remembered patients of Linda Hazard were a pair of British sisters named Claire and Dora Williamson and they were they were well to do they were smart they had they were educated they were the daughters of an English army officer and they read her book and they were staying in Victoria British Columbia and neither of them were really ill but they were suffering from like some minor ailments so Dora said she had some swollen glands and some you know rheumatic pain and Claire was told that she had a dropped uterus I guess that's a thing and they were already believers in alternative medicine and were into that kind of thing okay so they decided to join uh, Linda Hazard's Institute of Natural Therapeutics in Owala and so Linda Hazard called this her most beautiful treatment they went to her institution and she began feeding them a broth made of canned tomatoes and they only got one cup of it twice a day. Wow. Yeah. And then for, she also gave like hour long enemas, which she made them take and they started like fainting. Obviously, they started getting really weak really fast. Was she, were they hydrated even? Or were yeah. They, okay. I think they were allowed to drink water. Okay. And the thing that's nuts is that by the time they realized something was wrong, they were so weak that they couldn't escape. Okay. So finally, they were when they finally were able to, to leave, they weighed about 70 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The way they were rescued was, they think one of the girls was able to send a telegram to their um, childhood nurse, but the telegram contains like a few words and was completely nonsensical. And she was, the nurse was so concerned that she immediately went to, to check up on them. Well, good for her. And unfortunately, one of the sisters, Claire, ended up dying. Oh my goodness. But the thing was, is that even though she kept having more patients come and more and more people became weakened and died, she, the woman, Dr. Hazard, always attributed their deaths to something that they already had. So they were like, oh, you know, she said that Claire died because of a drug that she took when she was a child, which had caused cirrhosis of the liver. Of course. And she was too far gone for her treatment to have any impact. Well, I was going to say on a smaller level, you would think if you get someone like starving or weak and then get, and then let them have food again... They're going to come out of that treatment and feel a lot better because they would have been feeling like sure crap for a couple of days while they weren't eating anything and then feeling good when they eat again, I would think. but Yeah, and also the thing that, this other, that the doctor did then was she would wait until people these people would get so weak and so delirious from hunger and then she would convince them to sign over their estates to her. Oh, good. So that's, good what, 
so that's what happens. Like, Dr. Hazard convinced um, Claire to sign over her estate and also grant her power of attorney. Wow. So they took, like, $6,000 worth of the sister's belongings, like clothes, jewelry, whatever, and just totally took advantage of them while they were in this state of extreme weakness that that she eventually died from. That's ridiculous. I know. And then I was looking at... um, there were, there were so many other people who she, like, lured to her institute, and she didn't take responsibility for any of them. And then I was looking at... Um, this kind of reminds me of the Radium Girls a little bit. I don't know why. Oh. But just, like, ignoring what's causing the real issue and stuff. Oh, yeah. The thing that's so awful is that... Um, so as many as 40 people are believed to have died under Hazard's care during the early 1900s, most of them wasted away in captivity. So she said, they said that a couple, like, people who live near the town have reports of people trying to escape and these people just wandering through the woods, like, begging for help. So what did the town do? Just like, that lady's weird. I know, like, exactly. Like, so she also, part of her treatment was also a massage that involved beating her patients with her fists and oh. she used to yell eliminate eliminate during the beatings so it was physical domination starvation and manipulation to basically get these people to turn over all their estates to her yeah no this is um legitimate just like straight up abuse from a oh yeah completely. yeah oh here's um the menu do you want to hear the menu i don't know yes i do you mean there's more than tomato puree or whatever like in the morning, one orange, and then at dinner, one cup of tomato soup. And none of these people were like, I need some protein? I mean, like, that's the thing. I mean, at a, at a certain point, you think that you'd stop before you got to the point where you weighed 50 pounds and you were so weak you couldn't do anything. Like, how do you get from one extreme to the other without questioning this? Although, I guess you, you do get weak pretty fast I guess so maybe if you thought it was just like one day like maybe if you thought you were getting chicken tomorrow for lunch you'd like put up with it and then like by the time you realize you're not getting chicken tomorrow for lunch you can't do anything about it or something well eventually this woman went to prison thank god yeah but the crazy thing is is that she never gave up the idea that her beautiful treatment was essentially murder she believed in it and she kept fasting until she eventually starved to death herself. So did anyone claim to have been cured by her? Um, yes, a few people did. Okay. So it wasn't just like every single person died, but still. No, but... <laughs> no, I mean, yes, I. that doesn't make it... Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's the thing. I'm curious about the people who didn't die. Like, why did she let them go? Well, if she really believed that she was doing the right thing, like if she wasn't just trying to kill people, if she really truly believed that what she was doing was somehow helping them. I don't no, know. But but how do maybe you... they just maybe they just left after a while. Maybe they kind of got out. Yeah. When they could. Or someone was checking on them or something and I don't know. Oh, here's right, here's the one of her here's her diet. Oh boy. So it's a diary, essentially, from one of her patients. It was February 5th, February 5th through the 7th, one orange for breakfast, mashed soup for supper. I'm hungry just thinking about this. I know. February 9th through 11th, one orange for breakfast, strained soup for dinner, strained, strained soup for supper. How, could, how do you strain oh soup God. even more? I don't... Soup is already like... <laughs> I think it was like asparagus and tomato broth. February 14th, one cup of strained tomato broth at 6 p.m. That's it. Oh my goodness. February 17th, ate three oranges today. Oh, that was a big day. 
How do you even do that after you've been starving it's yourself? So do you have to peel it yourself? Because that's a lot of work. I, I mean, I don't know if they could have done anything. And then it's about how, we, oh my gosh, okay, slept better Wednesday night. Kind of a frontal headache in the a.m. Ate two small oranges at 10 a.m. Ate one and a half cups hot tomato soup at 6 p.m. Heart hit up to 95 minutes and sweat considerable. So they're, it's just so awful. Like they're recording in their diary these il- these illnesses that they're having and they're not attributing it to the fast. They think it's something else and they think the fast is helping them. That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder how, like, sick – well, usually they weren't even that sick because I was going to say if you're really sick and you're out of other options, maybe you just want it to be true so much that you – I don't know. I don't know. I think it's crazy that she – this woman ended up dying by her own invention. No, that is – it's kind of fitting, actually, but yeah. I mean, she was eventually also found guilty of practicing medicine without a license, and she was fined. She was given a fine, but that's it. Well, this is kind of depressing. So, yeah, well, it's just, like, I don't know. I was just thinking about, it just made me think about, um, like, all these stories of mind control and brainwashing and, like, how you really believe in what you're doing, even though there are physical signs that you are suffering. Yeah. But this is a, this is even different mind control because it's not, like, using psychology and, co- like, it's like you're actually controlling someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not, like, brainwashing. Yeah. It's actual brain control. And in just complete manipulation. Yeah. So let's hope that Hideo doesn't go down that path. I tried to look into if we even have – I looked at mind-blowing gadgets you can control just with your mind. Ooh. Like the Neuralink? Exactly. Because that was sort of the like first that. step, right? And he was like, well, now that the connection's already there with your brain, it was just like, you know, a little bit harder to make it be a two-way communication instead of a one-way communication. But – um. I mean, it's kind of cool, all the stuff that they're doing, but the one that I thought was the most interesting, it's called Shippo, and there's also one called Nikomimi, and they are furry ears and a tail that (laughs) when you, it like scans your brain and like they will stand up when you're trying to concentrate and relax when you're relaxed for the ears, and then the tail like will react kind of like an animal does like you know when you're it'll wag when you're happy or wag when you're content or whatever and I just like could totally see people doing this but I would actually love that <laughs> yeah so yeah it was at um the Tokyo game show in 2012 I think it was that they first like came out with this so it's a brain controlled motorized tail that responds to the <laughs> user's emotional state with wagging Oh my god. So you need So people know when you're happy. Yeah, you need an EEG headset and a clip-on heart monitor so that it can observe your brain activities and pick up on like your emotional state in general and then it translates it into wagging and it'll either be like soft and slow or hard and fast depending on, you know, how excited or anxious you are or anything. So and then the headset communicates with the tail via Bluetooth connection. So there's like Okay. It's just kind of funny. And when does it end though? Where does it you end? You can you can use like the app or whatever. It has like a smartphone sharing capability and geotagging and stuff. So you can like let your friends know where you are and what your mood is <laughs> and help you find other people who have tails that they want to wag with you or oh whatever. Gosh. So many furries would like this, I think. I know. So it's it's kind of, I was like, that's kind of like a funny, but also scary to think about how that could lead to all this other stuff. I was looking a little bit at, because there's a lot of research about, network connectivity and how it relates to neuroscience and basically we like only kind of understand how the brain works even at this point so we have 
you know, there are some medical techniques for things like Parkinson's or even OCD or whatever, where we will try to manipulate certain or like stimulate parts of the brain to get certain reactions. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of on this, like a first step towards mapping out the brain and understanding how putting energy in one place can cause other reactions but basically we're really 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 far from ever being able to like actually do anything like what is happening in this book but it's kind of crazy to think about just how much we still don't know about the brain and how connected it is and how you know whatever but we're trying to start to at least track it more and understand more what's going on so don't they have um aren't they trying to test out prosthetics that you can move just with the power of your brain yep they are there's this prosthetic arm that's letting the receiver control with their thoughts fired up by brain cells so that, yeah, you can, like, get it to, you know, like grip close your hand. or, yeah. yeah. I don't actually know how far along a lot of this stuff is. I kind of just skimmed this article and it was the tail thing was the most fascinating to me. <laughs> but we're definitely getting to the point of brain-controlled gadgets being, like, somewhat possible but it's i don't think we're at the point where like you can think something like i don't think we can we're close like thinking words and having them show up in someone else's brain like communicating that way but uh, enough where certain neural activity could be read and you know we can then have machine responses to that like if you're excited a tail could wag or something well the thing that is i feel okay about that is that like right now it's very elective you know like you can choose to do it or not yep the thing that i hate about this book is that people don't know it's happening yeah like it's completely done without their knowledge which feels just even it, it just feels so much more wrong but do you think it's in the terms and agreement somehow <sighs> that no one reads because yeah. at this point everyone's so addicted and no one reads those things like because that's why i was thinking Again, even before this point, just like the Facebook data or, you know, like all that stuff where it's like we're actually sharing so much information and not really thinking about the consequences because we're getting something out of it. Like I and she was even talking about at this point, even if you told people, would they stop? Would they care? Would they stop? Yeah. Well, some of them can't stop, though, because remember she took her contact lenses out and he was like, yep. it leaves a film behind. So even when you remove the, the contacts, you're, you're not free of it still. You're still linked. Yep. So it feels just very sinister. Well, and I'm curious to find out who else on his team notes and how they all reacted to it. Because he does seem kind of defensive, but also no one's like blown the whistle on him. So right. I don't know. And I'm curious to know how um, Emika's friends are going to react, too, because I really liked the scene when she finally opens up to her teammates. Yeah. It, which, I mean, rightfully so. Like, their dorm explodes. And, and they're like, you need to tell us what's going on. Yeah. And I also really liked, I think it was Hammy, mm-hmm. who tells her, she basically confronts her and she's like, you need to let people help you because when you don't let people help you, it sends the message that they shouldn't ask you for help. And that... That you look down on them for asking for help. Yeah. yeah. And you and you feel superior because you don't need the help. And I thought that was, like, so true. Yeah. And I just... I really liked that. I liked how Marie Lu, like, put that into words because it's, it's very true. And I think, like, a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't let others help them because they don't want to seem vulnerable or they want to act like they don't need it. But, like, everyone needs help. <laughs> I also agree that that was like just a powerful way to say it because we've seen multiple characters in multiple novels kind of struggle with that, but I've never seen it so like articulately put before. So I agree that part stuck out in my mind also. But I was a little bit confused because they all just like 
agreed with her plan immediately. I sort of feel like she hadn't earned their trust enough for her to tell them the truth and then to just be like, okay, let's go, like, to the dark net and steal stuff and ruin this champion. Like, I guess she just made it clear how high the stakes were. Yeah, I mean, I think after the uh, the bomb. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Off, they were kind of like, okay, this is real. We'll do everything we can to help you. But And then she told them afterwards, too, that it wasn't – I mean, like, she was with them and a couple other people – other players when she was like revealing what she learned or they were like figuring out what mm-hmm. yeah so she's like yeah she has some teammates now but she has some it'll teammates be and interesting I- to see because again it's an interesting proposition it's still it's not like a bad it's like a good abuse of power which like like it's a negative thing but in a positive i don't know it'll be interesting to see if everyone thinks it's a thing they should stop or not well yeah and i kind of like that um zero asks her during one of the games he tries to buy her essentially and he's like i need i want you to work for me instead and she and that's before she knew about hideo's plan so now i'm very curious if she's gonna go work for zero okay except that actually bothered me a little bit okay i was sort of like zero if you really wanted her on your side or if you really like I just feel like his sales pitch was all wrong he stole her memory like he set himself up to be the bad guy and it's like why didn't you just tell her from the beginning like don't trust what What Hide is doing or you know especially since he already knew that she was working so hard against him and at the end he was like angry at her because he was like you just activated it and I was like well why didn't you just tell her yeah she would have (laughs) stopped or at least yeah I don't know I agree I thought that was because even when they interacted in the game, he didn't say, like, I don't know. But if his plan was to assassinate... Yeah, that was a little extreme. Yeah, she wouldn't have been like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. I'll help you. I just, I still think he could have, like, shared... Because she might have confronted Hideo, at least, about it. If he had planned it enough to be like, you don't even know what he's trying to do or whatever. She might have yeah. either looked into him in a hacking way or asked him about it up front. Because once she did ask him, he told her. Right. So right. it would be kind of interesting... But I'm kind of mad at everyone again. Everyone's keeping secrets. Their relationship is never going to succeed if Hideo's secretly brainwashing the world and <laughs> she's secretly trying to stop his assassination when he asks her to stop. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. Was Ren trying to assassinate Hideo then? I don't know. I also was curious about like how much Ren knew about. Like I'm curious if Zero told Ren and those other people, like if they were fighting for freedom or if they were just. I know he's in custody now, but I just didn't know. I didn't know how much Ren knew and if he was trying to stop Hideo as well. I don't know how much he knew about the big plan. I mean, we know that he, I mean, he was part of Zero's plan to get the, what are they called? Not the jewels, the artifacts or whatever. But we don't under, we don't know like how much, like why he's part of that group. If it was like Zero offered him money and blah, 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 or if, like, he believed in what Zero was doing or whatever. But I think he was part of at least the ruin the game plan, if not the assassination plan. Okay. Because Tremaine, we learned, was the other bounty hunter that Hideo hired. Yep. And I thought that was interesting how he gives Emika the um, missing link, the missing piece to um, the entire plan. Yeah, I don't know if I trust him yet. Do you trust him? I don't know. I mean, I think it was great that he helped her out. But 
I don't think he he knew the whole plan either because he had half of the puzzle. Yeah. He didn't have the whole puzzle. Yeah, I think he might be neither bad nor good right now. He might just be looking out for himself. Yeah, he's just kind of like a mercenary. So I'm kind of curious because now that's what where we ended, right? He was the one who came up and was like, I know another bounty hunter who has some information. You want to go with me to find out or whatever? Mm-hmm. So that that's where I'm like, why does he care? Or is he now – I don't know. Like, I just sort of was like, what's his end goal? I don't know him well enough, I guess, is the point. And he's been kind of annoying, so. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't won me over yet. No. I, I mean, I completely agree. I feel like we need to learn a lot more about these characters and figure out, like, who they're aligned with. Because right now, it's like – it seems like now there's two teams. There's Hideo and then there's Suzuki. Yep. But how do you compete with someone who has 90% of the world under mind control? <sighs> Like, That's a really good question. How do you even, yeah. Well, I also, I thought it was interesting when we were at his parents' house that oh yeah they weren't hooked up to the network really at all, right? No. Well, um, Hideo's house is not connected to the network at all. Yeah. He has no virtual reality in his house. And neither. Um, it doesn't seem like his parents do Yeah. Either. So I thought that was interesting. Like, the fact that he was doing that, he was keeping those two realms safe made me a little suspicious. But again, I never thought mind control. I thought this, like, data breach or something or you know like share, sending data out or using the data somehow but yeah well and it was also funny when they were talking about all the theories that came out after the game like even if the truth came out now everyone would just think it's one of the many like crazy theories about what really happened at that final oh right game the games are really really cool they are we didn't talk about that yet. I loved how the first one, they were all on hoverboards. Because it was so cool because um, since Emika has that electric skateboard, she was like super good at it. Yeah. It reminded me of Mario Kart a lot. It did. Well, and they play Mario Kart a lot, which is funny. Yeah, and those giant animals that were in frozen and ice oh, and yeah. stuff. That was pretty cool. My favorite scene was, I think, when Emika takes the ice dragon and then uses it to eat uh, Jenna. Yeah, that was a good scene. I love. I would love to see the video games like brought to life in a movie because they just look so so cool. So much of this book would be really cool to see visually. Yeah, or even in the second tournament, or maybe the third when they all have the huge robot exoskeletons. Yeah, that was the final one, right? Or was yeah, that, that was yeah, the yeah. final. This the one where they were underwater also seemed cool, but we didn't spend enough time there. Right. I think. I wonder if we'll see more. It would be fun if they then make this a game for real. This should have a game accompaniment. Whoa. That would be an awesome idea. Even if it wasn't virtual, even if it was just like pick an avatar, but like you, it's like capture the flag on in these cool different environments or whatever would be kind of fun. Well, the other day I I got really nostalgic because I was remembering the few video games that I used to play. Mm -hmm. And I love, I had a a Sega Genesis console and I, my favorite game was The Lion King and I watched the entire playthrough on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And then I sent it to my sister because I was like, Oh my god, how many hours do we spend playing this? And I haven't thought about it in years, like not since I was like 12. And it was so funny being able to watch it again and like remember how much I love playing it. That's so fun. It's so fun how that like stuff brings you back. But does it freak you out yeah. now that we're reading this book? No. I mean, well, I don't ever think we'll get there. Like to the, well, I don't think I will live to see something like Warcross. At least not with like 90% of people playing it. No, I agree. I think to get to 90% would be... Especially with books like this out. Like, I think we're way too suspicious of, like, at least... We'd be in the 10%. That's why I was saying, you know, we were talking about, like, the counterculture (laughs) or whatever. Like, there's enough people who would be like, this is a bad idea. Well, we're even learning about the the counterculture a little bit here when Hideo was almost assassinated and he was like, 
there's plenty of people who fear the Neuralink and wish that I was dead. And I was like, yeah, uh, I don't blame them. Yeah, I can totally I get that. see why people would hate that. Like, wishing you dead is a little extreme, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, totally. <laughs> Wait, I need to tell you, so I did look up some stories about people who had been kidnapped and then found. Oh. That were kind of funny. But this one I have to tell you because it reminded me a little bit about this book. So Xiao Yun was 14 and she ran away from her home in rural China after she got in a fight with her parents. And everyone thought she was dead because no one knew anything for 10 years. Whoa. And then they found out that she was living in internet cafes, playing video games, and surviving on handouts from patrons for 10 years. In China? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? I just liked it because I had a video game reference. But this one was also kind of crazy. (laughs) So there's this other- poor parents! 14-year-old who, her name was Natasha Ryan, and it was 1998, and they thought she was abducted in Australia, and there's a man who confessed to killing her. He was ar- so he was on trial for her murder when she, like, came back from hiding and said that she ran away from home. She had been hiding with her boyfriend for the last five years because she was angry at her mom for forbidding her for seeing him, and she ended up marrying him eventually. Whoa. But, like... Like, it got so far that this guy, but this is where I'm confused. I don't know why he confessed, but he was, like, on trial for her murder, and she was just, like, playing house with her boyfriend somewhere. Oh, my goodness. And he can, But he confessed to... Yeah, so I didn't... I should have looked into these stories more. That's I was just insane. Some funny ones. So, yeah, he was on trial for her murder after he'd confessed to killing her. So, I don't... Maybe he was a bad person and killed someone else and got confused or something, or maybe he <laughs> was, like, it was a total breach of justice, and he was pressured into saying something to like a plea deal or i don't know but but did she know that i don't know why she came out of hiding or i don't know what it sort of seems like it was while this trial was going on so i'm hoping if it wasn't just coincidence at least if she had heard something hopefully she like prevented this man from going to jail for killing her when she was alive but yeah i mean a lot of times when people go missing like investigators say well, if they don't want to be found, there's nothing we can do. Like, if they're over, if they're of age. Yep. Which is also kind of scary and whatnot. So do you want to know what you sh- how to prepare yourself in case your child goes missing? Yeah. So you should keep a complete description of your child on hand. You should take... Well, isn't that just in your head? Yeah, you would think. Some of these are okay. funny. You should take <laughs> color photographs of your child every six months, which, like, with an iPhone, oh don't you take them, like, every five minutes of your kid? Yeah. And post it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Have your dentist prepare and maintain dental charts for your child and be sure they are updated each time dental work is performed. Which they should do anyway, unless you're Dr. Dad. Yes. I know. <laughs> well, make sure you go to a, do- a real dentist. Um, <laughs> Don't go to Dr. Hazard. <laughs> know where your child's medical records are located. This is the funniest list. I'm like, this isn't even, <laughs> unless it's just like in a panic to have all this stuff all really handy or maybe, I don't know. Arrange with your local law enforcement agency to have your child fingerprinted and keep the fingerprints in a safe and easily accessible place. What? And this one's great. Keep a DNA sample from your child, like an old toothbrush, and a brown envelope licked close by your child at room temperature in a dry, no. easily accessible place that is far away from heat. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, making your kid provide all this stuff? And they're like, why do I have to put my toothbrush in an envelope? Well, this is in case you get kidnapped, honey. <laughs> Because that won't mess them up at all. I know, right? It, I thought that was really funny, so I thought I'd share it. <laughs> that is funny. But yeah, and then their advice for what should you do if your child is missing, it starts with like, look for your child. Oh my goodness. And then basically like, report them to law enforcement. You should limit access to your by a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, who is this written by? This is written by childwatch.org. 
And actually had a lot of interesting statistics because I think we've talked about this before, but a lot of... So first of all, less than 2% of all violent crimes against juveniles reported to police involve kidnapping. So there's not a ton of kidnappings, which is good. But um, most kidnapping happens by a relative of the victim or his family kidnapping. Yeah. A lot of that is like custody battles even and yep. stuff. So 49% of it is that. Another 27% is you're kidnapped by an acquaintance and only 24% is true stranger kidnapping. Of kidnapping is stranger kidnapping. So oh, okay. Ugh, still makes me nervous. No, I mean, it's not good or anything by any means, but at least, like, I feel like it happens so much in, like, TV shows and stuff. It's not, like, super common. That's But just in case, go take your child's old toothbrush, find <laughs> in an envelope. A, a brown envelope. I don't know how important the brown part is, but oh. that's what it says. And make sure you have a dry, room temperature, easily accessible place, not close to any heat. Noted. Yeah. I will do that right now with my dog, Banjo. <laughs> I know. I kind of was thinking I should do the same. <laughs> Actually, she does have a toothbrush, so I could do that. <laughs> uh, we just give him dental bones, so would I have to, like, take one away from him oh, halfway? And Did you see that um, Marie Lou's Corgi has made an appearance in this book? Oh, yeah. At, at his house, right? <laughs> when, at his real yeah. house? Yeah. And that was actually, maybe this is a little creepy, that I knew she had corgis when I read that part because I was like, oh my God, she totally made his dog a corgi because she has corgis. (laughs) And then in the acknowledgments, she actually uh, says that the dog is named, I don't know if it's named after her dog, but um, it's based off of her dog. I really liked her, I don't always read acknowledgments, which is probably bad, but she mentioned so many authors that we read too. Did you notice that? Yeah, she's good friends with a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, which makes me happy. Yeah, S.J. Jones was one of the first to ever read Warcross. J.J. Wow. She calls her. So she wrote um, Winter Song. Yep. And then she also thanked Lee Bardugo for l- listening to her talk about Warcross and, sh- <laughs> and whatnot. So it was just kind of fun to see some of those names of people that we read. And that be like, awesome. how do I join your guys' book club or whatever? I know. Whatever. how fun it would be to be friends with them? Oh my goodness. I'd be so intimidated. Yeah, me too. I'd be like, hey, read this pipe fitting copy that I wrote. <laughs> I'd be like, I read about what you should do in case someone's kidnapped. Um, Did this make it into any of your stories at all? Do you have an envelope anywhere? <laughs> we could just be really bad fact checkers for them, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Like, if they need to know <laughs> about anything, we could just look it up real quick on Wikipedia. Can that be, yeah, can, yeah, can that be a service we offer to aspire? authors like we'll help you we'll help you do half-ass research yeah. <laughs> is it even ha- like quarter-ass research sometimes yeah yeah half is too much because <laughs> i just get distracted i like go down all these i can't like stay on one path the internet <laughs> is too there's too many things to click on it's too hard well also i love being in this book because there's so many things to research and it's so different from a lot of the stuff that we yeah. have read recently or in a while, and it's nice. And But it's only two books, so hopefully we won't run out of stuff even in the next few weeks. We yeah. Okay, what are you really excited to see in the second book? Uh, the brothers reunite in a Ooh, battle to yeah, the death. showdown. <laughs> <laughs> Suzuki versus Hideo. Yeah. I think Suzuki's going to win. I, I mean, I kind of hope so. Do you think Emika and Hideo are going to be good at the end? Maybe it'll be like a Marin Maven situation. Where... Be... Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert for Red Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll bleep that out. <laughs> if you haven't read the Red Queen series, I just ruined it for you. <laughs> we'll put that in the bloopers. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> I hope that he <laughs> realizes that he's doing wrong and they live happily ever after yeah. with a bunch of corgis in a mansion. 
playing video games. In hot springs. Oh yeah. Oh, I love the description of the hot springs. I really want to. I really want to do that. Oh my goodness, I really need to do that. My back is still hurting me. And... <laughs> I'm really excited to see more of the dark web, the dark world. Well, I'm curious. I guess I, I don't really know what this next book has, but it sort of feels like the game part is over. So I'm curious if it is more like the less of the game worlds that are created and more of the like hacking and yeah the dark web and like the espionage assassination lotteries yeah i wanted to look up assassination lotteries but i didn't even know how to google that i mean do you think that's an actual thing i bet i bet so i think it is i feel like it probably is it reminded me of that other black mirror episode with the bees oh i haven't seen that one. Oh, you should watch that one with the bees the bees oh. the fake bees they like replace bees with these techno technology bees but, but I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah. I haven't watched that one yet. I, I'm, wa- I'm still watching American Horror Story cults. I'm still in my cult zone. I gotta stay there. I just started watching The Office. I'm like literally as far away from that as I can get. <laughs> I've never watched The Office and I, that's what I'm watching these days. I couldn't watch The Office for the same reason that I couldn't watch Mad Men because I didn't like being in an office and then coming home <laughs> And watching about people being at work, it was, like, excruciating for me. That's totally fair. I think I started it before I actually started work, so I haven't watched that much since I've been going in... But I haven't even been going in the office. I've been, like, riding delivery trucks and working in the warehouse so far, so... Yeah. I don't know. What else do you want to see? I, I want to get more backstory. I want to see what happens with Roshan and... What's oh, Tremaine? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Because... It feels like they have unfinished business with each other. And we don't even know the whole, like, I either want more history or I want them to resolve things going forward or something. There, Yeah, there's definitely some tension there and we don't really know the full story. We know they were involved, but that's it. And we, yes. I want to hear why he, like, left the team. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot more to that story. I agree. I want to know more about Asher because I'm really intrigued by him and how he's related, deleted day from Legend. Yep. And I want to know where Ren is. Like, I want an explanation. Yeah, that's true. I kind of I kind of forgot about him already, but... <laughs> You're like, I'm over this guy. But I would like to hear what happened to him. Well, I also... I'm still intrigued by the guy who is Hideo's right-hand man, whose name I can never remember, oh, who's yeah. always, like, texting her, like, why don't you go talk to him? Like, I really want to know more about his obsession with his boss and what all he knows and if he's involved in stuff more or if he ends up helping at some point or what. I, like, completely, he's not on my radar at all. I don't remember his name. We should just invent a new name for him since we cannot remember it. Oh, man. <laughs> Agent I don't even remember what letter it starts with. Like, that's how much. <laughs> but I, like, no, but I still, he still intrigues me. I think because I wanted him to be the bad guy. So I thought he was going to be mm. the bad guy. But turns out the good guy was the bad guy. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> We're thwarted again. <laughs> We can never see the twist coming. Should we talk about the next one and what where we should read to and stuff? Oh, yes. We'll read up to chapter 18, which okay. says two days until the War Cross closing ceremony. Ooh. Which is interesting Sorry. because I thought we just had a War Cross closing ceremony. We had the opening ceremony. But didn't we have, oh, we just had the final match, but there's not a ceremony. We haven't had the ceremony to close it. Is that what you're saying? I guess so. Okay. But was that even the final match? I thought it was. Because I thought that was the whole point, that the song was going to play during the final match oh, and stuff. Yeah. But maybe there'll be a redo or something if everyone thinks because they cheated. She, she cheated by bringing all of Yeah, I was going to say, if everyone thinks she cheated. First of all, she wasn't even supposed to be there. She hacked herself in. And <laughs> I want to, that's what I'm actually Poor curious Brenner. about. I want to hear what he thinks of this whole thing. He was like there and then gone and like whatever. I forgot about that. She like. <laughs> but at the same time, she he probably, stole. everyone probably 
thinks that was him, right? So I wonder if he'll just, like, roll with it and be like, yeah, I have all these secret cool moves. (laughs) And then she just... But the thing is, like, how did she even get the power-ups into the game? Like, no one saw them in her inventory before they started playing, and she was just like, oh, psych, I just bid on all these really cool power-ups. Well, I guess... It cost, like, a million dollars. Yeah, I don't really know, like, what you see and what you don't see, because you would think that you can't go into the games with any power-ups. Like, you can only use power-ups you got in the game, you would think, right? Yeah. To make it fair. But I guess I mean, granted, she wasn't part of the original, so she hacked herself in anyway. So if you're going to hack yourself in, you might as well hack your bag full of power-ups. Yeah, might as well bring your power-ups too. And when she did use them, because when she used them, I was like, why are people not freaking out? And then they immediately started freaking out, and I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, that's, like, that's better. She can't be using this stuff. The God one was kind of interesting, like play God or whatever. And yeah. she like was, but I loved how she was like, oh, I forgot to stop the storm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I'm in Arizona and it never rains in Arizona. And today I drove through like a puddle as high as my car on the way to work and it was pouring rain. <laughs> and I had just read this last night and I was like, yep, I forgot to play God and stop the storm. Please use that. Yep. <laughs> I, I feel ya. Okay. Should I read the back of the book for this one? Uh, yes, it's called Wild Card. Yes, sorry. Wild Card by Marie Lu. It just came out. It's the sequel, but the last one in the series. All bets are off. This time, the gamble is survival. Emika Chen barely made it out of the Warcross Championships alive. Now that she knows the truth behind Hideo's new Neuralink algorithm, she can no longer trust the one person she's always looked up to who she once thought was on her side. Determined to put a stop to Hideo's grim plans, Emika and the Phoenix Riders band together only to find a new threat lurking on the neon-lit streets of Tokyo. Someone's put a bounty on Emika's head, and her sole chance for survival lies with Zero and the Blackcoats, his ruthless crew. Ooh, they have a name. Ooh, Blackcoats. Ooh, can that be our fan name? Maybe. Well, let's find out if they're good or bad. (laughs) But Emika soon learns that Zero isn't all that he seems, and his protection comes at a price. Caught in a web of betrayal with the future of free will at risk, just how far will Emika go to take down the man she loves? In this explosive sequel to the New York Times best-selling Warcross, Marie Lu delivers an addictive finale that will hold you captive till the very last page. It's a quick book again, too, so it's going to be fast. It's, oh, I can't wait to finish it. It's like less than 400 pages. I've been wanting to read this book for like a year since the first one came <laughs> out. Luckily, you weren't tempted until this week or whatever, so, I mean, no, I like, you couldn't. You were cut off. No, I'm also reading Uprooted right now, so that is my secondary book that I have going on right now, so it's been taking my mind off. I've read so many books this last couple of weeks, which has been good. Oh, that's awesome. Are they all fantasy, or? No, they're all not young adult fiction. No, that's not true. One okay. is young adult, but not uh, fantasy-ish. I read, because every time, like... I want to watch something on Netflix. I have to read the book first. So I just read that to all the boys I've loved before or whatever. Oh, was that good? The book I liked better than the show, but it wasn't anything. I mean, like, you can probably already predict everything that's going to happen, but it was a fun, easy read. And there were certain, like, phrases that I thought were well done and stuff. But it wasn't, like, amazing, but it, it was good, you know, for yeah. that kind of book. If you want a teen romance, it's not bad. I just read the Paper Magician series. Oh, yeah, you were talking to me about that. Did I talk about it on this podcast? Maybe. I forget Okay, if it was on this or in real life, but... I don't remember, but I loved it so much. I liked that it was very it was very contained. It was a contained story, which I'm all about right now. Yep. So um, I appreciated it a lot. It was just, like, really adorable and charming. I think you'd like it. Cool. I will keep that in mind. Um, do you also have a joke for me today? Oh, what do you call a belt with a watch on it? 
I don't know. A waste of time. Oh, God. <laughs> that one's bad. <laughs> oh, Chad told me one the other day. Okay. He made this up, actually. I think he made this up. What do you call, um, what do you call pizza that's full? Um, cheesy. I don't know. What. <laughs> Stuffed crust. <laughs> it's not even funny, but it made me laugh. How much does a hipster weigh? I don't know. An Instagram. <laughs> I like that one. That was good. Well, speaking of Instagram, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at MNKTalkYA, or you can send us an email at MNKTalkYA at gmail.com. Sounds good. And then you can go read Wildcard Part 1. Tell us what you think or Give us some jokes because I'm running out of them, obviously. <laughs> We're running low on jokes, on dad jokes. Well, you have a whole book now, so. That's true. I left it upstairs, so next time I'll bring it. <laughs> I totally forgot it was my turn. How embarrassing. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.